Amen. You can be seated and we'll dismiss our school-aged kids to the back. And while they're headed that way, I invite you to open your Bibles, if you brought one with you, to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13 is where we'll be today. I love that song because it does what any really good worship psalm does, song or psalm, as we read through the book of Psalms, is it lifts our eyes up to what real reality is. It gets our gaze above um, the things that maybe surround us, and it gets our eyes up onto who God is and what he can do, the power in the name of Jesus. Um, If you uh, are new, um, visiting with us today, just want to say thanks for being here. I know some of you may come from maybe different denominations or different styles of worship, and it's an honor that you're with us today to celebrate a family member being uh, dedicated, or uh, maybe you're in town for Mother's Day. Uh, We started a a series on prayer last week called uh, the By Name Initiative, and you received these in your connection guide when you walked in. And um, we're asking our church, and we would love for you to join with us in listing at least one name, maybe a few names of people that you know, um, uh, that you're praying to see them, uh, praying to see salvation in their life. You're praying that God would do something miraculous um, in and through their lives. And then we've asked you to put this in some kind of conspicuous place that you would see it. So it would remind you again and again to continue to persevere in prayer for these people. 1 John chapter 4 verse 14 says, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, that he hears us. And we know that he hears us in whatever we ask. And I want to start just with that reminder, and we're going to pray here in a second, that God hears you. That Jesus is your advocate before the Father, that he is for you. And you might be walking through a very weighty or difficult time, maybe a long season in the desert for you where things, you feel very weak and weary. And I just want to remind you that God hears you. I want to pray, and I'm going to invite you to pray um, silently as I pray aloud, as we just still our hearts and minds just for a moment. Would you ask God, the God of the universe, the God of the Bible, would you ask him to speak to you through his Holy Spirit today? God, I pray um, that you would speak to us. That you would, uh, through your Holy Spirit, that you would be the great I am to us, that you would speak to us as the great teacher to what we need, whether it's to lead us to uh, repentance of sin and apathy through your kindness, maybe it's just to encourage those that are very weak and weary, maybe some struggling with actual physical issues that you would bring healing We pray for our church that we would be united and have a great spirit of unity and life here. I pray that you would, even those that are gathered among us who aren't part of your family yet, Father, I pray that not only would you grant them the gift of faith, but you would speak to them even this morning. They would cross this line of faith and become part of your family. 
We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I recommend a book to you that I would uh, highly encourage you to pick up, and it might be um, the greatest transformational book that you've ever read, certainly on the book of prayer. It's by a guy named Paul Miller. It's called A Praying Life. And uh, Paul Miller has been doing, uh, one, he's learned to pray, um, and it's not any secret method. There's not really secret methods, although Scripture does teach us how to pray, but he's learned through some very difficult times in his life how to pray. And as I've been reading that book over the last few weeks, um, rereading parts of it, thinking about uh, prayer, and as we're talking about prayer, as we're in the book of Acts, and we see the church praying all the time, it's just very refreshing Um, He sums up the definition of prayer this way, just ask. We serve a God who loves us and gives good gifts to his kids, and he's asked us just to ask him. James, the book of James would even go so far as saying that there are some things that we don't experience, some blessings that we don't receive, some things that God wants to do in our life that we don't actually participate in because we have failed to ask. To put simply, prayer is talking and listening to God. It's a conversation with God. And for many of us, prayer is confusing. We don't know how to pray or what to pray for. Maybe we've been taught a certain formula to praying and we can't remember exactly how that works or how to follow it. But prayer is certainly not meant to be confusing. It's not meant to be a problem. Prayer is more about our hearts and our attitudes as children coming to a loving father than it is about entering with the right words. My kids don't come into my room in the middle of the night, and unless they address me a certain way, do I kick them out of the room. They come in with all sorts of requests at all sorts of hours of the night. Maybe you know this well, right? And this is the one like weak spot I have in my heart. I think there are some times that even if Ashley would have rolled over and said, hey, babe, can you go give me some water? I would have said, what's wrong with you? Why can't you go get it? Not to be mean. I would probably go get it after she kicked me or something, but, but you're not that way with your kids, right? They come in and they're the sensitive part in your heart that you say, you know what? Absolutely. You think a monster's in your closet? Let's go get him out of the closet. You know, that's, let's go check. Let's go, let's go handle whatever it is. And this is how God has taught us to approach him as little kids. I think sometimes four-year-olds pray better than 34-year-olds or 44-year-olds. Maybe some of us have made this just too complicated. As we've been walking through the book of Acts, we've seen that these new Christians prayed with passion and persistence. It's mentioned more than a couple dozen times in the 28 chapters of the church praying, from praying in chapter 1 and in chapter 2 to Pentecost to them being devoted, it says, to prayer. Prayer was something that they knew well because Jesus had taught them to pray. They knew to have a Christian life was to have a praying life. And our our text today certainly carries on this same theme. Look at Acts chapter 13 with me. We saw last week in Acts chapter 12, Peter in prison about to be executed. The church gathered to pray. God did this miraculous thing, answered their prayer, sent an angel. The chains fell off of Peter. The gate opened before them. Some incredible things, and we're going to come back to chapter 12 um, in a few weeks after we get through this uh, little series on prayer. It says in chapter 13 and verse 1, Now there were 
in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. I'm going to just paint a little uh, picture, a context here to give us a framework of what's going on. We introduced you to the church at Antioch a couple weeks ago when we were talking about Barnabas. This was the first missionary church. Antioch was an amazing church, diverse, multicultural. They had a missionary heart. They really impacted the city and culture of their day. I love their uh, diversity. Antioch was, a, uh, was the third largest city in the, in the Roman world. And here Luke introduced these people to us for a reason. We have the names of them, and we know some about some of them. Of course, Barnabas and Saul, they're going to be um, highlighted, have been, and will continue. We have Simeon, Lucius. A lot of people think that that Lucius of Cyrene is actually uh, the Greek word of of Luke, who's actually writing the book of Acts, but they're kind of divided on on that. But regardless, we know uh, just the name and where he's from. Menaean, who's this lifelong friend of, of the governor, Herod, who earlier had um, killed John the Baptist. And we see this uniqueness in this group is because all of them are different races. We've got some from Africa, some from Asia, some from the Middle East. They're all together. And what brings them together was not the context or culture that they grew up in. What brought them together was their love of Jesus and their desire to follow him in his missionary work. And God was doing some incredible things in this church. If you know much about it, you know uh, Antioch is where Paul spends uh, the most important, most formative years of his life. After he's converted on the road to Damascus, he ends up at Antioch and he begins formally serving the church there. That's why he's part of this leadership team. Antioch is where he develops his concept of justification by faith. Basically, the whole book of Romans kind of comes from him learning here. It's in Antioch where he's taught to plant churches, where he really learns the gospel narrative, all that Jesus said and did. It's where he became really a redeemed and uh, front leader. The gospels of Mark and Luke were most likely written in Antioch. Some theologians think that Matthew also was written there. Paul takes Mark on his first journey from and returning to Antioch. Paul finds Luke in his second journey and brings him back to Antioch. Above all this, this church at Antioch is teaching us today, and I think there's some great application for us as a church, but also us personally, teaches us what it really means to pray. And here's one of the first things we see. We see that prayer is meant to be instrumental, not supplemental. Prayer is meant to be instrumental and not supplemental. You know, oftentimes, maybe you've done this, we make all the plans that we want to make, and then we just go to God and ask him to bless them. Like, God, these are our supplemental prayers. God, we've made the plan. This is what we want to do. This is what our heart's direction is. Regardless to say we didn't call God into the planning process, this is just what we want. And now we're in a tight spot and we're asking God, uh, you know, for him to sprinkle a little God fairy dust on our plans. But that's not the way the prayer works, not at all. 
not just from this text, but through all of the book of Acts and even the way that Jesus taught us to pray. That is not the way that God works. Prayer is meant to be instrumental. It's meant to be directional. It's meant to be formative, not supplemental or extra or in the margins. This church was seeing God do some incredible things. And instead of just going with the flow or even becoming complacent, which is so easy to do when things are going really well, or even being overwhelmed with strategy as these hundreds of thousands of people are coming into the church, we see the church intentionally seeking God in prayer. They were seeking direction. They were praying and fasting. They wanted to be right in the center of what God was doing. True disciples don't run with their own ideas. They seek God in dependent prayer. Remember Moses in Exodus 33, as God has disciplined the church because of their, it says in the scripture that they were a stiff-necked people, and God tells Moses, hey, listen, I want you to go ahead, and I'm going to give you my blessing, but I'm not going to go with you. You're going to have my blessing, but not my presence. And we see Moses praying. And Moses prays to God in Exodus thirty-three fifteen, 15, and he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. And this, in a sense, is what this early church is praying. God, we don't just want your blessing. God, we don't, we don't just want your favor in our life. We want your presence to be with us. We want to be right in the center of what you want us to do. Because they, Moses understood he'd rather have the presence of God in the wilderness than no presence with God in the promised land. He wanted God to be right in the thick of things with them. And he prayed and cried out for this, and God answered his prayer certainly. And I think a lot of us are just okay with the blessing. We don't go to God and pray for his presence. We don't necessarily care that we're right in the center of his will. We want to do what we want to do, and we want God to bless us on top of those things. But this attitude of prayer that the early church had, we see in Acts 13, is not just God help us with these things and help them go right. It's God, we are desperate for you to be with us. It's relational, not just transactional. It's instrumental, not just supplemental. One of my first jobs in ministry was at a growing church, and God was doing some unique things. As you read through the book of Acts, you see the Holy Spirit do some things that are kind of under, that you don't really understand. Look at Pentecost, and everybody is speaking the gospel and they're hearing it in their own language and they're speaking languages they don't know and tongues of fire and a great wind. I mean, there's some crazy things going on in the book of Acts. And the closest that I've ever been to any kind of supernatural event like that, as we see in the book of Acts, has been a few times in my life and most of them where I was serving in this church. God was doing some incredible things. But the people got caught up with this competitive spirit, you know, like our church has got to be better than the next church. And we needed to build, they thought we needed to build a bigger building. And we brought in some architects. We did this big capital campaign fundraiser thing. We weren't going to have enough money to do it. And so it came to a vote. Are we going to press forward and build this thing? Or are we going to just kind of squash the plans and uh, cut our losses? And it was about 50-50. Even in the staff, and the pastoral staff, it was about 50-50. Some of the leaders knew that God didn't want us to do this, and others were just questionable about it, but we had gone so far, and they decided to move ahead. And in the coming months, we saw the church literally fall apart. 
God just removed his presence from there. I don't know what it was about it, but I, I know that the, as I've talked to some of those leaders and the mistakes that they knew they made, is they wanted God just to bless their plans instead of going to him as this early church did in prayer and fasting and asking God, God, where are you sending us? What do you want to do in us? Persevering through prayer. I say all that to say this point, like we desperately need to be in step with what the Holy Spirit is leading us to do. Not looking, church, at all the other churches or whatever the latest trends are in church growth. We don't see Antioch doing that at all. They're not following the Jerusalem church on Twitter. They're not, they're not just trying to see, you know, what, what's, what's going on over there and how are they ministering and what kind of events or campaigns are they doing. No, this early church, God's moving in this incredible way. And you know what they find themselves doing? Not at a conference. They're on their knees praying and fasting for the Holy Spirit to lead them. Praying is instrumental, it's not supplemental. And I think where we are, maybe in the West, and churches in the West, is prayer is like one of the last resorts we move to. We bank all of our energy and time and focus on vision and strategizing and thinking through how we might accomplish this next thing. And I'm not saying that that's not part of, God wants us to do some of that, but we see such a, passion from this early church just to pray after all then what jesus said that my house will be called a house of prayer jim cimbala pastor of a church in brooklyn new york famously said several years ago that you find out how popular your uh church is by who shows up on Sunday morning and how popular your pastor is by who shows up on Sunday night. You can see how dated this is because there's no many Sunday night churches anymore. You can see how popular God is by who shows up to pray. And I feel if we want God to move in an incredible way, church, we're going to have to start developing a discipline of prayer. Praying is not just supplemental, it's instrumental. Here's the second point, and this is kind of even the last point. This is what's been in my heart all week. But I thought I had to have more than one point, right, to be a good pastor. Here's the second thing we see is prayer is pleading and surrendering. Please don't miss this. Prayer is pleading and surrendering. We see the attitude and the posture of the heart of this church. What a great picture of this in the text as the church is praying. You ever pray things because you know you should pray them, but you really don't want God to answer them? Like, God, I want you to use my child to do whatever you want to further your kingdom, except take them overseas or into really dark places where I can't see them. Or God, I want you to give me brokenness, which is just like a small measure of humility. Don't really, really break me. The church is praying, and then the Holy Spirit speaks. I've been thinking, too, all week, like, how did he speak? Did he, like, send him a text message, carrier pigeon, smoke signal, He speaks, and very clearly he says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I've called them. 
for the elders, this would have been like the most shocking blow. We don't even know about these other guys. The two heroes they had on the team were Barnabas and Saul. And now God says to the church in their little staff prayer time, hey, I want you to send away your best people. I've just never seen a church do that ever. If anything, they tried to guard their best. Though The best are the ones that get the, you know, can't you take the junior high guy? Like, he's not really doing too much anyway. And we see the church and how they responded. They continued fasting and praying. They laid their hands on them and they sent them off. We don't learn about any arguing back with God. God, are you sure, you're, you, sure you want them? What's going to happen to the church at Antioch if we send away our best? What's going what's to happen to what you're doing here if we, if we send away Saul? He's, he's almost there. We've, we've dealt with all the difficulties of Saul. And now he's about to become Paul. Like he's about to just, we see a lot of promise in him. We certainly don't want to send him away. But you see this attitude, this posture of the heart in the church at Antioch is they're pleading with God for direction and what they want, but they also come with a surrendered heart by saying, God, whatever you want us to do, we want to go with you. No matter how painful that is, no matter how fearful that might be, we want to go with you. And we see, again, Paul and Barnabas just willingly go. He, they don't even know what God's called them to do yet. It just says, set them apart for the work which I have called them. The only thing we really know up to this point is Paul knows it's going to be painful because that's what he told Ananias when Ananias went to pray over him through the, right after the Damascus Road experience. Prayer is pleading and surrendering. I think a lot of times we don't pray that way. We plead with God to do something, but our hearts are not surrendered. We say, God, we want you to operate within this small little context. To use the illustration of Paul that, 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 uh, that, that our bodies are the tabernacles of God or the, that we're, we're, we're living stones being built up to him, that we would say, God, we want you to come in and we want you to take over the living room. But we don't want you to touch any of the closets. Certainly don't go in the master bedroom. We don't want you to touch all the things. We want you to just do this one thing. This is your limit. This is where we want you to work. And God does not work that way. We want what we want, and then we want God just to bless our plans again. But that wasn't at all the heart of Jesus. You remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane just hours before he is going to drink this bitter cup, and he is praying to his Father, God, would you deliver me from this bitter cup? But not my will, but yours be done. Do we pray like that? pleading with God for what our heart wants, but surrendering to the parts that we're not even clear on. Listen, we serve a good father who gives good gifts to his kids. And part of uh, pleading and surrendering is us understanding that we serve a good father and he's going to give good gifts, even if they don't look like good gifts to us in the beginning. Remember when Jesus in the book of Luke had taught the Lord's prayer to them and then he gives them this little illustration of the a friend outside at midnight, and we talked about this a little last week. Jesus says, in, uh, and I don't think this is on the screen, he says in uh, Luke chapter 11, verse 11, And what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, 
know how to give good how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The problem is, the point is that Jesus is saying, listen, appealing to our paternal nature, like you're going to give good gifts to your kids. They're not going to ask you for one thing and then you give them something. They're not going to ask for an egg and you give them a scorpion. What kind of dad would you be if you did that? But the problem comes is that sometimes we ask for stones. Because, because we don't know about the bread. And sometimes we ask for scorpions because we don't know we need the egg. But because we're foolish and we don't have the perspective that God has. But God does have that perspective. And when we ask for a scorpion, instead he gives us the egg. We ask for the stone, instead he gives us the bread. He gives us the better gift. And ultimately that greatest gift is being conformed into the image of Jesus. Again, this is how Jesus taught us to, pl- to pray, pleading and surrendering. Let your kingdom come, he says, but let your will be done. Here what we are doing is surrendering ourselves to pursue God's agenda on the earth. Prayer is not supposed to be getting God to help us in all of our agendas, but seeking to join God where he is working Here's a few practical points that I've learned over the years. I think we see both of these evident here in the early church, if we had time to go through all of the book of Acts. But one is start with praying Scripture. Scripture is how we know what God wants to do in the world. It is God's direct revelation to us. The Holy Spirit illuminates parts of that, and we can pray Scripture Our faith is supposed to serve as the wire that connects God's power to the needs of the world. That's what we're doing when we say, your kingdom come, your will be done. We're connecting the power of God's promise to the situation that we are involved in or that we see. So we want to ground our prayer in Scripture. Whenever you spend time in the Word, highlight verses that stand out to you and pray those back to God. Let your prayer start with reading Scripture and praying that Scripture. Even starting here, praying even as Jesus did, let your kingdom come and your will be done. In my study the past couple weeks, I found this in Eugene Peterson's book on answering God, how to pray the Psalms. He points out two kinds of prayer in Scripture. And I'd never really seen this before, and it was just so intriguing to me. Evening prayer and morning prayer. Morning prayer, an example, we don't have time to get into it, is Psalms 5. It's morning prayer is active, petitionary prayer. Where you pray boldly against the things in the world that are not right. We see this in this early church in Antioch, in this terrible city. Several temples to foreign gods, things were not right in Antioch, and they're crying out to God to do something great. We saw it a chapter ago in chapter 12. Again, we could go to several places. This is, this, this is the pleading part. We're praying that God would do something, that he would change this, that he would bring his kingdom into this mess. It's morning prayer. And then evening prayer. Evening prayer is marked by praying your worries to God. Here's a good example in Psalms chapter 4. I read that this week. David commits to God the things that he's worrying about. 
people that are bothering him, things that make him angry or sad, reminding himself of the promises of God. And I love that. My heart needs it. I don't know about you, but my anxiety increases at night. When I can't sleep and I'm laying there in bed, I'm just overwhelmed by all the things that could go wrong or might go wrong. Peterson says in his book, the evening prayers, when we give those worries back to him and we say, God, I need you to worry about this. You don't ever sleep or slumber. I'm going to bed. Help me sleep well. And in the morning, if it needs to be back in my plate, give it back to me. And trusting the health of the church over to God, this is what we see in evening prayer, this church doing as they send out these people. They're just trusting God in the midst of it. Maybe a question we should ask us is, what do you do when you're afraid? What do you do when you're overcome with fear? If you would develop this practice of morning and evening prayer, I think it would give you this incredible sense of peace. I know just even this week as I've been studying and thinking about and praying this, it has given me this sense of peace. Here's how David ends Psalms 4. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Verse 8 of chapter 4. Reminding yourself that I'm talking to the one whose arm controls the universe. Who said that no good thing would he withhold from those who trust in him. Who takes care of me like a father and knows when even a hair falls from my head. Who promises to direct all my steps and lead me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Man, just thinking of those promises of God should help us to sleep in peace. Can I encourage you maybe to start the actual practice of morning and evening prayer? This is what we see the early church doing. Most of them have memorized the book of Psalms. They're just filled with these morning and evening. You'll see them when you get in there. These petitionary prayers of asking God to do these incredible things. And also these very intimate prayers where he's worried about or overwhelmed with something. I think praying scripture is a great place to start to develop a more consistent prayer life. But more than that, praying with the Holy Spirit. Again, growing up in churches where the Holy Spirit was not mentioned too much. One of my kids came to me the other day and said, Dad, who is the Holy Ghost? I guess one of their teachers is using the old King James, you know, talking about the Holy Ghost. That just sounds so much more like impressive, like the Holy Ghost. Growing up, I didn't hear a whole lot about the Holy Spirit and his role in this, as he is just an equal part in the Godhead as the Father and the Son. But the Spirit is the one responsible for extending God's kingdom on earth. He's the one that knows the will of God. That's why Romans tells us that he's even praying prayers that we don't even know we should, we should pray. He's praying on our behalf. So prayer is therefore supposed to be a two-way conversation as the Holy Spirit reveals what God wants for his kingdom as he's, as he's done here in this chapter. And the Spirit is praying through us and I want to encourage you to develop the habit of listening prayer of just, all right, God, what's on your heart? Have you ever been woken up at night with someone's just a burden on your heart for someone else that's walking through something difficult or maybe you have no idea what you're praying for them? Has that, has that ever happened to you? And that's when you've got to really clue in, all right, what do I need to be praying? 
What words need to come to my, through my mouth? What are you doing in that person? Or what are that person walking through? And most of the time we don't get a full picture, maybe just a phrase that we pray again and again for them. Here's a quote from Paul Miller from the book that I mentioned earlier, Praying Life. We need the sharp-edged, absolute character of the word and the intuitive, personal leading of the spirit. The word provides the structure the vocabulary, the spirit personalizes it and applies it to our lives. If we believe scripture only applies to people in general, then we can miss how God intimately personalizes his counsel to us as individuals. We become deists, effectively removing God from our lives. But everywhere in scripture, we see God speaking to us in a personal way, prompting us to obey and to love. Now, I know we have to be careful here because not everything that happened in the book of Acts is God trying to do in our church today. I understand that. But 59 times in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is mentioned. 36 of those times, he's mentioned speaking to people, saying things. Hey, go in this way. Or, I need you to be here. Or, I want you to send out Paul and Barnabas for this work. And they don't even know what it is. Again and again, the Holy Spirit is showing up, leading people into the mission. Maybe you would start your prayer like this, another recommendation from a praying life. God, I don't want to just pray to you. I want to pray with you. So move in me as I pray. And then as the Holy Spirit prompts you, pray. And keep praying. Prayer is pleading and surrendering. Prayer is scheduled and spontaneous. Be careful that this doesn't become too transactional, but we do need some scheduled time of prayer. Prayer isn't just transactional, it's relational. If God knows all the things we need, and he knows when we need them, and he knows every hair that falls from our head, and he's a good father, and he wants to give good gifts to his kids, then why do we have to ask him in the first place? Because he knows, shouldn't he just send it? Because he wants the relationship. Prayer is relationship. It's us in a conversation with God and him with us. We see, again in the text, the whole church praying at the end. If you read through all of chapter 13, Paul comes back and gives this report to the church as they prayed. Initially, we see the leaders praying. At least that's all we know of this praying. Maybe the whole church is also praying fasting and praying, but we know the whole church was involved in worship and fasting. The Spirit directed Barnabas and Saul to a new work, and the church blessed them and affirmed them. This is the evening prayer. God, we don't know what you're going to do with them, but we're praying over them, and they sent them off. I ask myself this week, is this text really about prayer, or is it about mission? I think the answer is yes. Worship and expectant prayer fueled the mission. Every time you see it, them praying, we see the mission. You see them together, they're praying, and then God speaks, and his kingdom is furthered. And they're in difficulty, and they're praying, and God speaks, and the kingdom's furthered. And they're fasting and praying, and the Holy Spirit shows up, and the kingdom is furthered. And it says, and they multiplied greatly, and people were added to them day by day. Or God sent an angel to do this, or he comforted their hearts, or he led them in this direction, or he spoke directly to Paul, then praying, then praying, then praying, and then God speaking, and then the mission happening. We've been put a lot of emphasis 
over the past year and a half on us being missionaries. Like God's called us to be missionaries. And that is true. But not in a functional role without the power of the Spirit leading and guiding us. You don't get the sense in the setting in verse 2 and 3 that this was some special prayer meeting that they called. This was just the normal routine of the church at Antioch. They were worshiping and praying kind of church. The fact that they were fasting indicates that they were praying with expectancy and with deep dependence on God. After all, these men were remarkably gifted. And yet they're fasting. Churches that really impact the world exalt Jesus passionately and they seek him in prayer with great dependence and great expectance. The story here begins with prayer, and then after Barnabas and Saul are selected, they gather together, it says there in verse 13. This must have been a hungry church. They're fasting again in in verse 3. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Start the chapter praying. We continue it with praying. We're going to see it down later in chapter 13, praying. And chapter 14, persecution. And they're praying again and again. It just continues to come up. Church, we really don't need any more church growth strategies. We just need the people of God. We don't even need crazy, talented leaders in the church. We just need people who are humble and obedient. Who are saying, God, use me. Use the gifts that I might have to further your kingdom. We're going to take communion in a minute, but I have a couple questions that I'd like to ask you. As maybe we provide some application to what's going on in your world. One, I want you to get the sense when you walk away from here that God is inviting you just to come to him to ask. When is your scheduled time of prayer? Do you have one of those? It's a scheduled time where... This is a non-negotiable time and place where you're going to get before God and you're going to ask him to do some incredible things. You've heard testimonies and even in our church in the past couple weeks of people doing this at their workplaces. Maybe, Maybe you're doing this at home before you leave or you're doing it in the car on your lunch break. But when is your scheduled time of prayer? As a church, we've been praying on Tuesdays at noon and I'd invite any of you that want to come. I know maybe your work prevents you, but... We're going to continue doing this for the next several uh, months, praying at noon on Tuesdays in the office. We would love for you to add that to part of your scheduled time of prayer. And I know it's going to take some sacrifice. And you're going to have to move some things around, but we would love to have you come. And there's nothing special necessarily about the setting. We're just gathered there in the office, and we just take 30, 40 minutes, and we just pray. When is your scheduled time of prayer? Second question, do you have margin in your life for spontaneous prayer? As your schedule is so full that there's just no way, even if the Holy Spirit prompts you to begin praying for this, that you have time for that. Where do you need to align your heart and lifestyle with God? Jesus tells us it's the pure in heart that see God. You want to see him? What in your life needs to be repented of or gotten rid of so that we can align our heart and lifestyle with God? This idea of submission to him. 
Is your heart set to obey the leading of God? Is it set to obey the leading of God and wherever he might move? I'm going to take a few minutes and I'm just going to ask you to pray where you are and I'm just going to say a prayer over us and then we're going to take communion. But if you get still before God, maybe the Holy Spirit is working even now to direct you in your prayers. Prayers of confession. Confessing sin. Prayers of thanksgiving. Maybe you're just overwhelmed with how good he's been to you. Thanking him for the blessings in your life. Prayers of adoration of just thanking God and saying, God, you are just awesome and incredible. Praising him, maybe asking for things that you need. Prayers of intercession as you pray on behalf of others. God, we look back on this early church and just astonished by how you moved through them. Starting a church in maybe the most difficult and hostile environment. And yet you bringing real transformation. Not because of their giftedness, but because of their dependence on you. Lord, and I pray that for our church. That we would be a church that just even understood a little bit of our dependence on you. And I pray that over these families... Lord, that they would make a regular rhythm in their lives and lives of their families and praying with their kids and praying for their kids and praying for their neighbors and for the ministry and mission that you've put in front of them. Lord, we believe that you can do more in five seconds than we can do in 50 years. So God, we pray that you would do it that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done, and we would get to see it. Holy Spirit, lead us as you need to in this time of prayer and response. As we prepare our hearts to take communion, as we prepare just in a little bit probably to go share a meal with others. Lord, help us to tune in to what you're saying, to have the humility to follow it no matter what that means it's in your name that we pray amen our servers are already here for communion and you don't have to be a member at our church to take communion um, but just part of God's family scripture does tell us that before we partake that we should just examine ourselves so we're going to give you some time to pray through that and then when you're ready please come here we just take the bread out of the basket and we dip it into the cup and then take it and then just a few moments we're going to sing a closing song I'll be in the back if you'd like to pray with someone let's do as God leads you
You have given us um, everything in your son, Jesus. And Lord, we take this offering and we ask you to use it for your purposes, Father. We ask we give our money back to you. It is already yours, Father. You do a work in our hearts, Lord. Make us a cheerful giver, Lord. Change our hearts and use our little gifts to help those that are hurting, Father. To bring them the good news of Jesus. So thank you for this time of offering, Lord. Work in our hearts as we get back to you. Praise Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, you can place your cards, envelopes in the baskets. Um, uh, one quick thing. Uh, Weston's uh, equipping class uh, does start back next uh, Sunday, um, which is, uh, you know, and it's going to be great stuff. Um, and Shreveport is having a launch team meeting tonight. Is that correct? Uh, at the city center downtown. And so if you're in Shreveport, uh, please go uh, with them and, and enjoy that process. Um, I want to invite Miss uh, Leslie Allen down front. Uh, today's Mother's Day, and I've asked her to come pray over our moms for us. And I do want to make a quick uh, just note um, of what you guys, I see what you guys are doing. You are loving and caring for the children in our church so, so well. And I also make a note for some uh, ladies, Mother's Day is a very tough day. Maybe lost kids, battle infertility, and I, I, I won't put my heart out to you. I can understand and empathize fully, but I do know that we, we love you. We mourn with you as you walk through those things, and so let's going to pray for us.